0: A special thanks goes out to the folks at Anchor.fm for bringing you this podcast. Coming to you almost live, it's time once again for Tom Reads Your Story, the number one spoken word podcast on the web for audiobooks, social media posts, current events, and just plain whatever. So let's start the show. For the next half hour, I'll be your host. I'm voice actor and podcaster, Tom Zanian. Hello and welcome back, everyone, for you regular listeners. And welcome to you new listeners. This is, of course, Tom Reads Your Story. And that applause you hear is for the new intro that you just heard why because this is our 100th episode and of course our studio audience made up of myself is applauding and listen i'm glad you showed up for our 100th performance you know what today today's show was a little difficult to put together i first was going to do something about acting and i just i couldn't i couldn't make anything of it um i need to think more on i could do it eventually but i couldn't i couldn't put a full show together with that subject um basically you know what i'm going to do in keeping with the fact that This is our 100th show, as I have said over and over since we started today. Since it is, um, I want to do the best of me. Now, I don't mean me personally. I mean the show. I mean Tom your story, the best of Tom your story. And that in itself turned out to be Huge, because I really like to keep the show at about thirty to thirty five minutes tops. Well, today it's forty three minutes. Now, that's not to say that the only good stuff that I've done in a hundred episodes is forty three minutes long. I have a lot more stuff that I just didn't have that much time to go over. You got to skim through everything putting through something like this or putting on something like this. And uh, obviously I only have so much time in a day. So I put together a good handful of stuff that I have read uh, that I feel shows me at my best as being the producer of the show. Okay. I hope that made sense. So today obviously we're going to have uh some stuff by my friend Rodney Vaccaro who is a frequent contributor uh also my friend Stephen Fear uh who wrote a couple of good things uh, for the show well more than two but I think I'm playing two of his items uh some something by Buck Matthews uh you know and if you're a first time listener and you don't know who Buck Matthews is, think of the weather report in the 60s of Grand Rapids, Michigan on the NBC affiliate. Just think of that. That's Buck Matthews. Well, obviously, there's a lot more to Buck. Buck is a wonderful writer, uh, television personality uh and it's he, just an all-around great guy and i'm uh, very happy to have known him uh, these years he um contributed a few things and of course i'm always very appreciative of anyone who contributes stuff that i feel should be on the podcast episode so it's 100 episodes I'm going to go through these things, and I'm not going to talk in between them. I might put a few stingers in, but that's it. I don't think it's necessary in the interest of time to explain everything. I think it's pretty self-explanatory. So let's get started. Here we go. Loving the Heights by Tom So this afternoon, I went and caught the 12.30 p.m. showing of In the Heights at the Empire 25 in Times Square. Be advised, the movie didn't start until almost 1 p.m. Why? Previews of mostly crap that I'll never want to see, that's why. I actually thought I was in the wrong theater because it was almost 12.55 and the movie still hadn't started yet. Anyway, I had only previously seen short clips of the Broadway production of In the Heights on YouTube and really didn't know what to make of it, not knowing the story. But In the Heights is worth all the hype it's getting. It's about family, community, dreams, love, ethnicity, and a celebration of it all a film musical of a Broadway show that didn't get screwed up from a lack of vision. Lin-Manuel Miranda and director John Chu cooked up a montage of music, lyrics, dance, and dialogue that somehow blends together naturally as one thing, aims right for our hearts, and never misses. All of the cast of Broadway people is terrific. See it on the big screen. Wow. Wow. Just loved it. From Facebook, Stephen Fear. Yesterday's news of Stephen Sondheim's death has gutted me. It's no surprise that a 91-year-old man has passed away. He lived a long and extremely fruitful life, and I did not know him personally but Sondheim's influence on musical theater and on so many people who make theater their business and life, including me, is immeasurable. Sondheim may have actually saved my life. My first year of college was a very dark time for me, filled with confusion, depression, frustration, and angst. The battle between my religious beliefs at the time and my sexuality were waging a massive battle in my soul and i felt lost and suicidal i distinctly remember how the song move on from sunday in the park with george seemed to speak to my heart directly i felt like sondheim had gotten inside my soul and spoken directly to me i listened to that specific song over and over it is one of the things that propelled me forward and kept me alive I was actually introduced to Stephen Sondheim later in life. Although I know I must have heard his music and lyrics before, my first real exposure to Sondheim wasn't until 1989, toward the end of my last year of high school. In the summer of that year, I was going on a theater trip organized by my drama teacher, and one of the shows we would be seeing was Into the Woods. I had purchased that album, yes, Kitty's album, along with Les Mis and Phantom of the Opera, which we would also be seeing. I purchased the albums to familiarize myself with the music of the shows we would be seeing. At the time, I thought Les Mis was terrific. Phantom was so-so, and Into the Woods was cute, but I was kind of unimpressed by it, to be honest. Oh, how times have changed. I now know that Into the Woods is far superior to the other two. While I still have a fondness for Les Mis, it certainly isn't as sophisticated or as well-crafted as Into the Woods. In my opinion, I still think, and thought at the time, that Phantom was overrated. In general, I think Andrew Lloyd Webber is overrated, and isn't nearly as brilliant as Mr. Sondheim. Yet, he is often considered the most popular, or at least the most commercial, of the two. When I saw Into the Woods, I really enjoyed the first act, but thought the second was a bit of a downer. In my immaturity, I completely missed the point of the show. Like so many theater goers, I think I just wanted to be entertained, not educated or enlightened. But I did discover, as life continued. The more I listened to, read the script for, or saw other productions of into the woods, the richer the experience became and the more I gleaned from it. I almost equate to reading scriptures. I think the more you read them, the deeper the meanings become. And sometimes passages you've read again and again will suddenly take on new and inspirational meanings simply based on where you are in life. I think most, if not all, of Sondheim's work is like that. Sondheim's shows are not always pleasant to watch, especially if you are not ready to be challenged or deal with complex issues, especially if you just want to leave your brain at the door. But watching them, delving into them, and allowing them to affect you is so worth it. The complexity, craftsmanship, and skill of Sondheim's music and lyrics astounds me. Like an onion, he has so many layers, and like a fine wine or an aged cheese, he is an acquired taste. While Sondheim's legacy will live on long after you and I are gone, I am sad there will be no new creations from this amazing artist. Such a profound creator. He will be deeply missed. I'm so grateful he was lucid until the end. Apparently, the day before he died was spent Thanksgiving with friends. What a way to go. Dreading the Fireworks by Buck. Just watched from the safety and comfort of my living room the very commendable 20 plus minute fireworks display from the downtown riverfront. A gift to the city from Soaring Eagle Casino that probably cost them somewhere close to a million quarters. For about the same number of years, we've celebrated our day of independence with colorful things that go boom the hot sizzle of sparklers and crappy little dime store things with fuses that go out before anything happens. We've done that with the assumption that everybody enjoys it equally. Most of us do, many of us don't. A lot of us who served in combat zones never saw combat. I'm one of those. But of the millions who were fired upon and fired back, the sound of those high-flying cracklers evokes memories they hope to forget you can imagine what the impact of those cloudbusters must do to them. Nobody's advocating celebrating the 4th by throwing marshmallows in the air, including the combat survivors who dread this celebration. But while we're enjoying bombs bursting in air and rockets' red glare, let's think of and be sympathetic to the grunts who have made it possible. Also, let me share with you one of the Matthews family most memorable 4th of July celebrations. This happened many fourths ago when our kids were young enough to go where adults might think about it. This was when we had a cottage on an inland lake in Muskegon County. Our son, whose creativity has carried him nicely in his career, had the bright idea of making the firework of the age by shredding a batch of sparklers into an aluminum pie plate and setting it off. He had the foresight to do it at the end of the dock so it could be shoved off into the water if it got out of hand. Well, let me tell you, it was spectacular. Bright as a star for about 22 seconds and burned a hole in the dock. He was not punished. Drifter in the Night by George Petnuch, performed by Tom Zania. Ossining, New York is a historic town which runs against the Hudson River in Westchester County. A small population of people represent the community. Known for the Sing Sing prison, many people have said ghosts have arisen from its former electric chair. Assining, with its beautiful country life and small village atmosphere and Hudson River view, is a sight for sore eyes. In Assining, everyone is neighborly and friendly with one another. The village bar has repeat customers from all over town. One night at the bar, everyone was watching sports games, playing cards, darts, and pool when a man in his 30s came in. He went over and said to the people, is this a friendly game of cards? What are the stakes? One of the players said, $5 a hand raises up to $100. I'm in, he said. One of the card players said, it's five card poker, the card player said. Where are you from? He said, I'm a drifter. I go where the action is. The night and game went on, and he kept on winning until everyone was out, except for one guy. The guy said, you wanna make this a do or die game? The drifter said, deal. Raises unlimited. They kept on raising each other. The guy said to the drifter, I raise you a thousand. The drifter said, I'm in. The guy said, I have a straight. The drifter said, I know when I'm beat. Luck only lasts so long. Sorry boy, full house. The drifter got up and took his money. The card player was cursing him out, calling him a bastard cheater. One guy said, get out of town before we round you up. The drifter got up and walked to the door and said, another time you'll thank me, and left. All the people in the bar were watching the card game and said, who was he? Where did he come from? Does he have a purpose? The rain was coming down, and it was 8.30 at night. Mrs. Sheehan was at home when she received a call from her son, John, who was 10 years old, to pick him up at his friend Brian's house. Mrs. Sheehan went to her car. She started it up and put on her windshield wiper. The wind was gusting at 40 miles per hour, The road was hardly visible. To get to Brian's house was a long and narrow road, which ran overlooking the Hudson River. She drove slow. Branches were falling in front of her, leaves hitting her windshield. She was in front of Brian's house. She called up John on her cell phone to come out. John got in the car. She turned around and proceeded to drive back home, with it raining and wind gusts now picking up to 55 miles per hour. A deer ran in front of her car. She swerved to her left, and with the dirt and road completely wet, slid off the bank of the cliff. The car began to turn over, rocking back and forth, going down the mountainside, throwing her from the car, and her john didn't escape. She was on the side of the road, fully covered in mud and drenched in rain. She could see her car, which got stuck in between trees hanging on. She began to scream, ''My son is in the car!'' The engine was still running, the headlights on. She could see the car began shifting. The Hudson River was below. A car stopped and said, ''Are you all right?'' Petrified, Mrs. Sheehan told him what happened. She said, ''My son is down there!'' They called the police. The fire department and police came. With the wind and rain, mudslides were now in effect. News was all over town. Everyone rushed to the scene. No one could help. With it being dark and the wind gusts and potential mudslides. When suddenly, a man and her son, raised from the mountain, all covered in mud. Mrs. Sheehan broke down and cried. John, you're all right. Just then the car crashing down the mountainside, turning over, bursting into flames as it hit the river until you couldn't see it no more. She said, This is the man. Thank you. Who are you? He said, a drifter in the night. She said, This is the man who saved my son. The police and mayor said job well done, and we want to thank him. As they turned around, He was nowhere in sight. Spitting Incident by Stephen. I experienced something tonight at my job that really upset me. Before I write about it, I want to say that I like my job at Meow Wolf and that the majority of the guest interactions I have had at Omega Mart have been good, but there is a minority of guests that are not always pleasant to deal with. One irony is that I never actually saw or spoke to the guest with whom I had a negative interaction this evening. I was standing at the bottom of one of our slides, and some punk-ass kid on the catwalk above me, thought it would be a real hoot to hock a loogie onto the bald spot on top of my head. Perfect aim, by the way. My experience was suddenly feeling something wet on the top of my head, and my reflex kicked in, and I automatically touched my head with my right hand and felt the unmistakable sensation of mucus on my scalp. Now... I'm a bit squeamish about other people's bodily fluids anyway, and the pandemic has made me even more so when it comes to phlegm, so I was extremely grossed out. I looked up to see where the spit had come from and realized someone must have spit on me from the catwalk. But by the time I looked up, I saw no sign of the perpetrator. There was a hand sanitizer near me, so I immediately sanitized my hands and then even went so far as to put some hand sanitizer in my hair and on my scalp. My first reaction was one of disbelief, which then became disgust and anger. I mentioned to a couple of coworkers what had happened, and although I kept feeling compelled to call my manager, I kept dismissing the thought because I thought, well, what can she do? It's already happened. I have no idea who did it or where they went. And even though it was gross, it seemed not significant enough to report. Until I realized it was, I needed to talk about it. If nothing else, I needed to let my manager know that this degrading demeaning thing happened even if nothing could be done about it. In fact, I didn't expect that anything really could be done about it. So I called her and we went to an area away from guests and before I could tell her what had happened I just started sobbing. She could tell something was deeply troubling me. I finally regained my composure and finally said it already happened and I don't expect anything can be done about it but I just need to talk about it and then proceeded to explain to her what had happened. I explained to her my aversion to germs and spit and how demeaning it felt and that my mother-in-law had died from COVID-19 and to be spit on at all, but especially during a pandemic was very upsetting to me. She immediately was compassionate and understanding and told me how sorry she was that something like that had happened to me and even gave me the option of going home, which at the moment seemed like overkill to me. I told her no. I was fine. I just wanted to talk about it. She gave me a hug and asked me exactly where and when it had happened. I told her and she said she would have security review the footage to see if they could find the culprit. And it was only in that moment that I remembered that there are security cameras all over the exhibit that could have easily captured the identity of the person who spit on me. My manager asked if I needed a few minutes before stepping back out onto the floor, and I said that would be nice. So I went upstairs to the break area and restrooms to wipe my eyes and blow my nose. I had barely finished when there was a call on the radio to let our staff know to alert security if they saw a young teenager with a black t-shirt and a brace on his leg. And I knew that was the guy who had spit on me. And I thought, wow, that was fast. And as I headed back to the floor, two security officers passed me, exchanging words about how the guest they were looking for had spit on one of the creative operators, having no idea I was the creative operator in question. I went back out on the floor and suddenly felt this weird terror about encountering this kid myself. And I thought, why am I so terrified of running into some kid who spit on me? And I was back on the floor. I realized that I was still feeling on edge by what had happened and was having a hard time concentrating. Soon, there was another call on the radio from my manager asking me to meet her at back of house. She informed me that they had the kid in the security office and asked me if I wanted to press charges as to what he did was considered assault. I did not feel that was necessary. I only wanted the kid to know that what he did was very upsetting to me. Later, the head of security asked me officially if I wanted to press charges and I again declined to do so. I went on my break and called Isaias because I just wanted to talk to him. We both felt that I should see if my manager's offer to go home was still on the table because I was feeling more and more unsettled by what had happened. I went to the security office where my manager was and asked if it was okay for me to go home after all. I didn't want to leave my team in the lurch, but I did want to leave. Without hesitation, she said, of course, that they would be fine. They let me know that the video footage clearly showed the kid looking down at me, looking around to make sure no one saw what he was about to do, and then spitting on my head. So, of course, he knew what he had done was wrong. When they caught him, he was petrified. His mother was horrified by what he had done and asked why he would do such a stupid thing at all especially knowing how dangerous such a thing could potentially be during a pandemic. She apparently was mortified by her son's behavior, as well as she should have been. They did not tell him immediately that I had chosen not to press charges, so he did not know if he would be facing charges or not. They made sure he knew how upsetting what he had done was to me, and they kicked him and his family, or whoever was with him. I only know about his mom out so I'm sure he's in a lot of trouble look I didn't want the kid arrested I just wanted him to know that what he'd done was upsetting and unacceptable I am normally a turn the other cheek kind of guy but I'm glad he was scared I'm glad he got kicked out of the attraction I hope he learned a lesson I hope he never does something like this again There were times during this evening when I actually caught myself asking why I was making such a big deal about this. It was just some immature kid doing a stupid thing, but it is a big deal. It was demeaning. It was degrading. It was upsetting. I'm a 50-year-old guy just trying to entertain people and make them feel good and have a good time. I'm just trying to do my job in peace, and I just want to feel safe at my job. I'm too old, and really, is there any age when that behavior would be appropriate to have some punk spitting on me? And I felt and still feel angry at the violation of my personal space by this kid's nasty spittle on my head. And I realized later why this experience felt so traumatizing to me. I was reminded of how many times kids bullied me and yes, spit on me when I was in junior high I felt like that bullied kid tonight, and it brought back a lot of really painful feelings and memories. It really was upsetting. And kudos to my team, my manager and Meow Wolf's security team, for having my back and taking my concerns so seriously. I am so grateful to them. I am home now, and glad I made the choice to come home. And wouldn't you know it, my nephew left me his ice cream because he wanted me to have it. So that was a nice treat to come home to. My biggest takeaway is that I just hope that kid learned a lesson that stays with him. Don't go through life spitting on or debasing people, kid. Lift people up. Don't injure them. Goodbye President Trump You were a helpful disaster By John Pavlovitz January 19, 2021 Dear President Trump In the waning hours of your presidency I wanted to take a few moments to express my deepest gratitude for all that you've done It will be difficult in this small space to adequately express the depth and breadth of my appreciation, but I will make an admittedly feeble attempt. I was wrong about you. For four years, I've openly lamented the poison your presidency has so effortlessly generated. I've watched our country imploding on your watch, witnessed our public discourse become polluted in your presence, and seen our political climate grow ever more corrosive with you overseeing it. At first, I wrongly assumed you were to blame. But in recent years, I've come to understand that you haven't manufactured our current national ugliness at all. You've simply revealed it. You've uncovered who we have always been. And for those like myself, who have been afflicted with privilege or were criminally uninformed because we were able to be, that felt sudden and shocking, though it shouldn't have. By saying the irresponsible, mean-spirited, ignorant things you've said so freely and so frequently, you've given other like-minded people license to do the same, unapologetically admitting who they always were but were previously fearful of declaring. You became the flag they could proudly wave in defiant hatred of so many. You've made bigotry, misogyny, and racism socially acceptable again, And that has been a kind of twisted gift because it's allowed me to really see people, not as they pretend to be on the surface, but in the very depths of their wounded, weaponized hearts. For years, your supporters would tell me that they loved you because you spoke your mind. That was never the real story. The truth is, they loved you because you've spoken their minds. You voiced their phantom oppressions, gave credence to their hollow grievances, justified their inherited prejudices, validated their ignorant phobias, and made their fringe ideologies so mainstream. You normalized their contempt for humanity. Thanks to the terrible ground you've broken, politicians, pastors, friends, and strangers, both in person and on social media, now regularly out themselves as intolerant and malicious. And they remind me just how close they are to me, just how deep the sickness in us runs, and just how far we have to go together. You've emboldened people to be open about things they used to conceal for the sake of decorum, and though it turns my stomach, I know that this is the only way we can move forward, to have that cancerous stuff exposed fully, so that it can be dealt with. Our progress as a nation now is predicated on authentic dialogue and honest conversation, no matter how brutal and disheartening those endeavors are. In other words, you've let us know what we're really dealing with here, and while it's been rightly disturbing, it's also been revelatory. That's the thing about that kind of harsh light. You're forced to see everything, beauty and monstrosity equally illuminated let me be clear. You have been the least qualified, least knowledgeable, most malignantly horrible president we've ever had. And I fear gravely for the world all our children will inherit because of you. I believe you're reckless, bitter, and completely reprehensible, that you represent the very worst of us. You are a staggeringly small and insecure man, whose perpetual neediness and unprecedented emotional insecurity have made our national planetary punchline. But in being these things, you've allowed me to see the truth about myself, about people I love, about people in our neighborhood, about nearly half our nation. And in the process, you've also shown me that I am not alone in resisting this ugly thing you've exposed about us. You've generated a larger, louder, more passionate response to it all. And this is where I find true gratitude in these days. In the 81 million who have been horrified for every single day you have been here. Those who have grieved and despaired and been outraged. In those who've lost sleep and sacrificed time and expended energy pushing back against you and people like you in those for whom equality and diversity aren't just cheap platitudes, they are the most precious of hills to die on, in those disparate people who refuse to be silent in the face of our recent shared regression, in those willing to be more bold in defending the inherent value of all people now than they ever were, in white people who are finally coming to terms with the reality of their privilege, and the supremacy afflicting this nation. In the growing army of those who will not tolerate hatred as a core American value a single day longer. In those who reject violence as a default response to dissension. In the ever-rising voice of people who will not let malice and bitterness represent them in the world. Today, I find my hope in those 81 million plus who, like me, will not be complicit in allowing bigotry and intolerance to become a source of national pride. Because we've seen where that leads. Yes, President Trump, you have been a complete and unmitigated disaster. You have left a trail of injured people, desecrated ideals, plundered resources, and fractured relationships that cannot be quantified but in being as unrepentantly malevolent and unapologetically ugly as you have been, you've unearthed our hidden sickness and shown us who we are, not in the songs or the anthems or history books, but in reality and in this moment. You brought every awful thing about us out into the open and now we have to deal with it all. And for this... I thank you. Now get the hell out of our house and out of our lives for good. My Dad in the War by Rodney One more dad story. My father was very handsome and he loved beautiful clothes. He used to have his shirts made with the monogram on the cuff, always French cuffs. He knew exactly how to talk to a tailor. He was in very bad fighting in World War II. He was with Patton and the 8th. His first action was at the Battle of the Bulge when he was maybe 20. He was a medic, which was just about the most terrible job you could have in a war. He won a bronze star for crawling through machine gun fire to save the lives of eight men. He almost never talked about the war, but he told me a story I've always loved. Not so much for the story itself, but because I thought it said a lot about my father. He said, After the war, he and a buddy of his were assigned to go to a hotel and pick up a German general who was being brought in to surrender. He said they had just gotten off the front, unshaven. They probably hadn't bathed in days. They went in an open jeep, got to the hotel, and knocked on the door. The general came to the door, a tall, lean, handsome, imposing figure. He had been shaving. He asked my father, very politely, if he could finish getting dressed, and my dad said, sure. The general went in, and in a while, came out immaculately shaved, wearing his full-dress uniform and what my father described as the single most beautiful overcoat he had ever seen. Light gray cashmere. Now remember, my father really knew clothes and for him to say this was the most beautiful coat he had ever seen really meant something. He said the general was very calm and very dignified, like a prince. They got in the open jeep and began to drive to headquarters. Just before they got there, the general asked my father for a smoke, and my father gave him a cigarette. The general lit it and smoked quietly for a moment, and then the wind in the jeep blew ash off his cigarette. It landed on the sleeve of that beautiful cashmere overcoat and burned a small black hole in it. My father said the general looked down at the hole and burst out crying, just weeping. My father said, it was as if any dignity the general had left was in that uniform. And here, just moments before he was to surrender it, it was ruined. He said the man cried himself hollow. I always thought it was remarkable that my father, at his young age, after seeing what horror he had seen, could still open his heart to the tragedy, the humanness of this man who had been his enemy. It is the sign of a great heart. A great man. A very great man. Gosh, you know, there's so many other podcasts out there that people can go to. You can jump into an ocean of podcasts. Believe me, I'm glad I'm here every week. But I want you to be glad you are here every week or for the first time. Come here with expectations. Come here, whether you're new or or someone who's been here for a while whether you're new or not come here with expectations that this is a podcast that you are going to want to latch on to and come around to every week and get something out of and pay attention to not just just, uh, have it uh, playing over a speaker while you're working on your car no, that's not what I want and I, I really hope that's not what you want but to to listen to it and to be a part of it. And that's what I want. This is Tom Reads Your Story. And we could go on and on and on. I hope you like that because that brings us to the end of our 100th episode. The 100th episode of Tom Your Story. Portions were pre-recorded. Tell your friends if you enjoyed your visit today, because we're always looking for new ones. Thanks, Anchor.fm, for this opportunity. I greatly appreciate it. Until next time, take care, everyone. For more information on Tom's availability for your e-learning, commercial, or audiobook project, visit his website at www.tomzvoices.weebly.com. We hope you visit us again soon for another episode of Tom Reads Your Story.